go XR or go extinct. Welcome to the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. I am super excited to have uh, our next guest today, Ori Inbar. He's a world-leading expert in the field of augmented reality industry, and he has devoted the past decade to fostering the AR ecosystem as an entrepreneur, advisor, and investor. He's the founder and managing partner for Super Ventures and the CEO of AugmentedReality.org, a nonprofit that produces Augmented World Expo, the top industry conference for AR since 2010. To learn more about what he's doing, you can visit AugmentedReality.org and AWEXR.com or superventures.com. Ori, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Alan. It's awesome to be here. It's so exciting to have you. I've been waiting for this episode for so long, and I just can't wait to get right in. Maybe can you just give us your first AR experience and how you how did you get into this? You know, I watched uh, your 2019 keynote uh, from AWE again and put on these these welding glasses that you had back in 29, 2009. You've been doing this for 10 years without any reduction in passion. And how did you get involved? Like, what was that precipitating moment for you? So for me, you know, after uh, the startup I was working for was acquired by SAP and I spent seven years there, uh, decided to leave and go back to my roots in a, in a startup. And then I realized that my kids are always stuck in front of a screen, computer screen or playing video games. And uh, and, you know, on one hand, it felt like, you know, we cannot really change the future. Uh, but I was trying to look for a way for kids and adults to kind of interact with the real world, like like we did as kids. Uh, but by adding some of the things that attract kids and adults to computers and to, to video games and to social media and kind of merge it into reality. And, you know, at that time, I thought I, I kind of invented something new. But then upon some research, I realized there's a term for it called augmented reality. It's been around for many decades, but it was hidden in labs uh, in a few places around the world. So the mission immediately became to find a way to bring it to the, the mainstream, to the masses. Uh, and then the iPhone was announced and it felt like finally we have an uh, ideal device to deliver augmented reality to everyone because they already have it in their pockets. Of course, from there, the uh, the path was very long and, and arduous and still is. Uh, but I think we're starting to see some of the fruits um, in the last couple of years where uh, a bunch of new applications, whether it's for enterprise or for consumers, are hitting the market and are actually showing value. So uh, it seems like we're definitely on the path to, to making it mainstream. My first AWE was three years ago, and I, I remember... You know, it was amazing to me because I went to Silicon Valley VR meetup or or their you know SVVR, and it was mainly VR. And then I went to AWE, and it was it was a lot of augmented reality and you know glasses. And you know there was companies there making glasses that you know looked like aliens had built them, and it felt really clunky. I almost had this feeling like this is really cool. I can see where it's going, but it's not quite there, and it's it's just not ready for the real world, in my opinion. You go back this year and, and everything is actually, Porsche is using this and Lockheed Martin is using it. Huge companies not only are done with their pilot phase, but they're rolling it out at scale. So what do you think has happened in the last three years to take it from a cottage industry to something that's in the billions of dollars? Actually, you know, if you take it back 10 years uh, to 2010, when we did our first AWE, uh, you had, you know, a lot of passionate people 
in the room, but we were talking about vision and concepts and ideas, not so much about actual products. And over the years, you started to see more and more products hitting the market and customers starting to use it in, in ways that improve their businesses. Uh, so, so that was kind of a very slow uh, process uh, leading us to where we are today. And, and I think you're right. In the last few years, we've seen uh, significant maturity of both the products, whether it's smart glasses or uh, you know, tools that are available, not just on glasses, but also on mobile devices. But more importantly, we started to see enterprises adopting it uh, and showing significant ROI associated with uh, implementing AR in their businesses. And that has kind of been driving the kind of acceleration of the adoption among enterprises. Uh, in, in a slew of use cases and, and practically in every industry you can think of. So I think that that's definitely uh, uh, a phenomenon that we're seeing in the last few years. Um, and it's reflected at AWE. Uh, first, you know, from the, uh, the number and maturity of the companies deploying, I mean, uh, delivering products and, and show, showcasing it on the expo floor. Uh, but more interest, interesting is the fact that attendees are much more educated about what AR can do. Uh, they come to the show to actually buy software and hardware uh, because they already understand the need and understand what it can do, at least you know to a certain degree. And uh, and that's kind of a whole new era for uh, where the industry is with uh, AR and VR. It's so interesting you, you say that because for the last three years, I feel like we had to start every presentation with, okay, what is the difference between AR and VR? And how, you know, <laughs> it was like basics 101. And now the conversations, you can bypass all that and go straight to, hey, this is how it's going to make or save you money. And, exactly. you know, right. those, those answers weren't there three years ago. In my, you know, from my standpoint, we were presenting this to everybody and it was like, yeah, so I'm not really sure how much it's going to cost. And, yeah, nobody's really done it before, so we're we're not sure if this is going to actually work. But I think we've moved out of the phase of can we make it work to okay, it works. What can we do with it? To we know what to do with it. We have real ROI numbers. How do we scale it? So, what do you think's next in the next three years? Then, well, I think uh, FOMO is actually starting to play a role uh, where <laughs> you see some of the you know more more advanced enterprises adopting it and showcasing how it's improving their businesses. And that kind of registers with everybody else in the industry uh, that, you know, if they are not going to start adopting it, at least thinking about how to adopt it, then they may be uh, falling behind. Uh, and it was kind of last, last year at AWE, our, our motto was go XR or go extinct, because it felt like if uh, you're going to ignore it as something that is only ha- going to happen in the future, you may be left behind. Because it takes time, really, to to understand how it's going to improve your business, how to adopt it, how to deploy it. Uh, it's definitely kind of, it's a whole new kind of computing uh, platform. So uh, people need to prepare for that, and the sooner the better, the better. So um, so again, I think the the fear of uh, your competitors becoming better than you, and also to a certain degree with consumers, once they see how AR makes certain people better at things they do in their life, whether it's just, you know, how they play games or how they play sports or maybe how they, they fix something in their home, that will kind of trigger other people to say, hey, I need to have that too. Otherwise, I will be falling behind. And uh, 
and that's kind of a big driver of the adoption right now. You know, you know what I find interesting about that, Ori, is that companies are sharing their their internal ROI measurements. I've never seen it where an industry is so collaborative, and and that may you know maybe because it's just early and you know the money's not flowing like the VCs haven't really <laughs> pushed the the envelope of what's possible. But I think there's just this feeling of collaboration. Everybody I talk to is willing to share their pitfalls, their challenges, what they can do better so that everybody improves um, exponentially. And I think maybe that's just a factor of exponential growth in general. The fact that all these technologies are moving so fast, everybody needs to help to just keep up with it all. But it seems like the XR virtual augmented reality space is very collaborative. And you know, it's almost like it's like a family. When I went to AWE, I felt like I was coming home to a family of people that understood me. <laughs> you go through your daily life and you say, hey, you know, try this VR, try this AR. And you know, people are like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. And But when you go to AWE, everybody understands it. They see where it's going. They see the future. How did you, I guess at AWE, you built that community you know, from the ground up. And, and how, how do you see that moving forward as companies start to put money into this, in big money? Do you see this collaboration continuing? I do. I mean, uh, first of all, I agree that unlike previous waves in other industries, I'm seeing more collaboration in this industry than in others. I still hear a lot of startups that are doing some amazing implementations with certain enterprises, but these enterprises are still keeping it as a confidential um, achievement and not sharing it. So it still happens, uh, but not as much as maybe in, in, in other technologies or other uh, industries. Um, and, you know, you could probably attribute it to the fact that it's relatively early, um, but maybe there's something else there. Because, you know, when when I started AWE, it was really just to find a venue where we can meet like-minded people that also think about AR uh, and are passionate about it. Um, and because at that time, you know, it was very lonely to develop in AR. There were maybe a couple of dozen companies around the world Nobody understood what they were doing, so it was great to come to a venue and be able to to meet people that think like you and and really help inspire each other. Uh, and over the years, obviously, more and more people got to know about it. But it's still up. I think up until even now, uh, it's it sometimes feels lonely to develop in AR uh, because still very very few people that are uh, developing it and and really have deep understanding of the technology. But I think, you know, there's something about this technology that is uh, about, you know, really making us better at anything we do in work and life. And maybe that's something that is driving people to collaborate more because they feel like uh, we can, we have an opportunity here to to bring humanity to the next level and, and improve how we do everything and maybe even uh, combat some of the threats that are facing humanity these days. Um, in a way that was not possible before. So, so I think that's another contributor, especially when, when you think about e-commerce and the whole idea of try before you buy or just, you know, try before you do, right? I mean, in many cases, you, you can simulate things with AR uh, that you're not able to do with, you know, a regular website or any other application. And, uh, and that ability to try things before you do them uh, or maybe even get help while you do those things, as opposed to just watching, you know, YouTube videos that uh, instruct you how to do certain things. 
that adds kind of a level of of support to to people that that we've never seen before and uh, maybe again that's one of the the other contributors to the collaborative na- nature of what we're seeing in, in the industry it's it's interesting I would say almost every single person that I've interviewed has an altruistic side to it they want to see this technology used for good I think that's one thing that is just really pervasive in this industry is that everybody understands the risks of it as well. I think there's there's an inherent risk of collecting, you know, eye tracking data and positional head tracking data and more data about individuals. There's a risk there. But I think everybody's very well aware of the risks and they're really adamant about protecting uh, humanity from those risks while using the tools to create great things. We have so many uh, environmental, social, uh, monetary aspects to our world that are not the best they could be. Uh, there are big challenges and virtual and augmented reality hold the promise of exponential education. And I think if we can harness that, we can educate the next generations to solve the world's biggest problems. What do you think about that? Um, and you know, also Ray Kurzweil likes to say that every technology brings promise or peril. And it's really up to us to to decide on how we use this technology. You know, anything from since fire uh, kind of qualifies to in in that quote. So, uh, so it's really up to us. And and when I say us, it's everyone in the industry. It's the technologists, it's the creators, it's the developers, it's people that adopt it. I totally agree that it it provides an opportunity for exponential education. If you think about you know what's really unique about AR and VR. Uh, or spatial computing, it's really about uh, getting away from the unnatural way we interacted with computers in the past 40 or 50 years, which was on a two-dimensional screen with a two-dimensional input device, the mouse and and the keyboard. And now we're getting back to uh, a technology which enables us to interact with the world and with information the way we did in the million years before uh, the 2D computing that we know of today existed. And, uh, and the fact that it's more natural to us, I think also allows us to, um, to learn much better because you know, we learn better in 3D, we learn better when we interact with things, uh, we learn better when people are involved in the education than if you just read it on a, on a two-dimensional screen. So that by itself, I think, could give a, a significant leap forward in how people learn and uh, how knowledge is on one hand captured and also disseminated. And that's, kind of, that's one of the areas that I'm, I'm most uh, uh, passionate about in the AR space, which is uh, how do we use this technology to capture knowledge that is currently being held in, in people's brains and communicate it in a way that is beyond just you know, a book or beyond just uh, even a YouTube video in a way that uh, we can actually experience it in in anything we do, um, and then uh, so so capture that knowledge and then be able to disseminate it to everyone on Earth while they they try to do cer- a certain thing. Again, it could be work or it could be uh, just your day to day life kind of thing. So um, so yeah, exponential education is is probably one of the biggest promises of this technology. 
Yeah, it's interesting you you mentioned uh, kind of capturing that that information. I think I was at PTC's LiveWorks this year, and their expert capture system is really low tech. When you when you think of all of the technologies we have with Hololens and Magic Leap, and we have all these you know amazing technologies for spatial computing, and they took something so simple as a pair of glasses with a camera on them to capture the person's view of doing something. Maybe maybe it's fixing a machine, maybe it's working on a tractor. Doesn't matter, but is able to capture key snippets of that information from an expert and then show it to the next person with, you know, uh, just a heads up display. And, you know, you look at Realware, they just raised $80 million and it's not really AR. It's more, you know, a lens that shows you a computer screen that's, you know, maybe three feet from your face and, and allows you to kind of see videos and, and text and PDFs. But that ability to, to be able to capture that knowledge and disseminate it quickly through you know a platform is really revolutionary, and I think we're only scratching the surface of what's possible there. What technologies that you've seen that are maybe in in the early stages or betas or just kind of under the radar? What technologies really do you think will push learning forward? So I have to start with uh, maybe a somewhat controversial statement, which is I think the tech we have today is good enough. <laughs> I agree to do a lot. I mean, it's it's really about now it's about creators really leveraging the tools that we have, the devices that we have, which, you know, most in most cases, it's going to be a, a smartphone or a tablet, not even glasses, and build um, applications that leverage the, uh, the special capabilities of, of this medium and, uh, and help people, again, become better at, at anything they do. Yes, of course, you know, we have a lot of things that we still need to develop and improve, but the basic foundation is there. But if you think about, you know, what else can you do? What, how can it really accelerate things? Um, something I, you know, I, I started talking about a couple of years ago, it's called the AR cloud. And that's a software layer that uh, basically creates a digital copy of the real world and allows uh, developers, creators to place content uh, in a permanent, in a persistent and shareable way on the real world. So that if I see certain content in a certain place and I come back tomorrow or maybe someone else is trying to access it with a different device, they will see the same content, the same kind of interaction that, that I have. And uh, that's, that's something that visionaries in AR have been talking about for at least a decade but now we're actually starting to see the initial implementations of that technology, uh, whether it's from you know small startups like 6D.ai, but also companies like Microsoft, Google, Apple are starting to show their uh, first steps towards the air cloud, uh, kind of providing uh, persistent information on the real world. Things like you know Mine Minecraft Earth, which is a really cool game currently in beta. Uh, is doing already that. You know, it allows you to place uh, something that you've created that you've mined in Minecraft anywhere in the world, and and allow other people to come and interact with it in in a similar way. So, so that's that's already in the works. It's not science fiction anymore. Uh, of course, you know, we have to do a lot to scale this technology and make it available to everyone and on all devices and kind of iron some of the kinks. But it's it's definitely getting there and. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a huge that's going to make a huge difference in uh, the proliferation of this technology because once 
many people can collaborate and interact with with AR. Uh, it will provide kind of an exponential growth to the number of people using it and the frequency in which they use it. With uh, the Kronos Group announcing you know, the OpenXR standards now, I think it's going to become easier and easier for people to build on this. The hope has always been, can we build this on web? I had a client this morning call and say, hey, we want an application, but it has to be running on web. And <laughs> what they want to do is not possible right now on web, but we're getting there. And you know, being able to push content out once and have it work on any device, regardless of you know whether it's a, you know like you said a, an iPhone or an iPad or a Android device or a VR headset or an AR headset. I think having that ability to push it out once and have it work everywhere and be persistent is amazing. I think Magic Leap uh, calls it the magic verse. Was it uh, Kevin Kelly who, who wrote a whole article on mirror the mirror world? Yeah. Being able to create a digital version of the real world. And I think uh, I said it four years ago, actually, I think it was at, it was either at AWE or SVVR. If I was Google and Apple, I would make some sort of Pokemon Go game that took you inside and made you kind of chase these things up and down the walls and while they 3D map the whole interior space of everywhere. But you can imagine as this technology progresses quickly, a few years ago, we had Tango phones that had depth sensing cameras. Now that went away. And then all of a sudden, the depth sensing cameras are back on the new Samsung phone. So I think the phones will have depth sensing cameras on them. Being able to capture the real world in put it into context and lay overlay data on it is it's a huge feat and it's got to be done by one of the big players like or all of the big players really it's a massive undertaking. I mean, you, you mentioned the big players and uh, we have this interesting dynamic in practically you know in any new wave of technology where you have startups kind of leading the innovation and then uh, later on the big players jump in. I think what we're seeing now is that with the uh, kind of stagnation of the growth of mobile mobile computing, you know, smartphones, all the big players are, are starving or, or kind of uh, really trying hard to find the next wave and to, to see kind of the next growth opportunities. And many of them see, see it in AR and VR. So if you look at the investments done by Google, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and a bunch of others, you know, Lenovo, Huawei, in, in this uh, in this field, it's it's billions and billions billions of dollars, uh, and, uh, and and that's definitely showing to everyone, you know, to the startups on one hand, to investors on the other hand, and of course to customers that uh, this is this is not a fad. This is not something that will pass and. Uh, everyone is really getting into it and investing a lot in it. Uh, and the standards are, are a big part of it. Like you said, um, you know, I've been in, involved in standards around AR for over 10 years now. And in the beginning, uh, there were some great ideas on how to uh, enable that because everybody knows that standards help accelerate the adoption and uh, kind of remove a lot of the friction. Uh, but many people felt it's, it's kind of early at that stage, uh, you know, 2010, 2011. Uh, and it's going to be up to the big players to to jump in and in some cases provide their own standard that becomes kind of a de facto standard. Uh, <laughs> USDZ? Exactly, <laughs> Anyone? That's exactly right. So so I think we're, we're now literally in 2018, 2019, uh, the big players are kind of putting their weight behind those standards. Uh, and by the way, there's it's not just one standard. There's a whole set of standards that are 
that are, that are necessary for this new wave of computing and uh and many of them are are driven by uh the big players others by associations like you know the open air cloud which is working on standards around um air cloud that we mentioned before uh and is kind of harnessing some of the big players to to join that as well uh you know around web web technologies for ar and vr webxr that that's another huge thing which I think is is almost uh, entering the mainstream at this point, and and that will be a huge game changer because if you don't need to develop an, uh, I'm sorry, to download an app or special application, and you can just share a link that will get you into an AR experience or a VR experience, that's going to remove a lot of the current friction that we see in in getting more people to try it, and uh, and it's happening right now. So that's really nice to see. It's amazing, and and I think you know uh, this morning I interviewed the the head of XR for uh, Verizon, TJ Vitillo, and he was mentioning how the next wave of this is going to come when five G unlocks uh, cloud and edge computing, when we can offload some of the rendering power and some of the compute power to the cloud. They're working on sub twenty millisecond round trip transfer speeds, and if you think about that, that shouldn't affect your vestibular system at all. You could wear glasses, you could, your glasses can understand the world around you by using you know, infrared uh, cloud mapping, put it up to the cloud, and then have information real time come down, contextualize information to the world around you. I think that's gonna be amazing. And uh, Apple introduced their occlusion system with AR kit where you can put an object, a digital object on a table and wave your hand in front of it and it knows that your hand is in front of it rather than behind it. And I mean, that's just mind boggling because we need to have those. You don't think about it until you start to do an AR demo on a phone and then somebody walks in front of your demo and then all of a sudden that piece of furniture that you were looking at looks tiny instead of real size because somebody walked in front of it. But the fact that they're able to figure out the occlusion from a single camera is quite impressive. And I I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what Vervana was working on before they were acquired by Apple back a couple of years ago. But you can see where all these startups that were acquired by the big companies are starting to pop up as infrastructure for the future of spatial computing. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you mentioned 5G. And when you kind of go back to my comment on the, the need to find the next growth opportunities for the, uh, the big carriers, that's, that's a huge issue. Um, and that's you know, why they came up with 5G, um, which is really promising to you know, speed up our access to information and provide almost unlimited bandwidth of, of data. Um, and you know what he suggested today? He said, you'll be able to download entire seasons in seconds. Crazy. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's cool for those of us who, who watch or streaming or, or video. But I think when it, they're really looking for something beyond that, because, you know, that's, that's fun. That's great. Um, but but how does it really enable new things that were not possible before? And, and I think very quickly they realized that AR and VR are their best horses to to ride on for to kind of drive the the need for for five G. And uh, and we're seeing you know, Verizon, AT and T, you know, also Huawei and, and others uh, spending a lot of energy in kind of showing how five G can make AR and VR much better. And it does. Uh, and and it's kind of interesting because you know up until now. Many startups in this industry were competing on how well they can 
or how fast they can process computer vision and machine learning on their on the device. <laughs> how can you compress things to make it faster? Exactly. And uh, this will completely turn things around. All of a sudden, you're not going to be able, you're not going to need to compute everything on your device. Uh, you'll be able to do a lot of it in the cloud and just in an instant uh, share it with, with uh, as many devices as needed. And so that's kind of changing some of the, um, uh, the things that startups are competing on. Uh, and we're already seeing some companies putting more emphasis on doing things in the cloud with the anticipation that very soon it's not going to matter whether you do it on the cloud or, or in the device. So you run uh, or, or you're a managing founder of uh, SuperVentures. Let's talk about some of the investments that you guys have made at SuperVentures because you have an eye on this industry that is really um, quite unique because you've seen it from the very infancy right to where it is today. What are the things you're investing in? So SuperVentures, just quickly, uh, is a fund that is... Uh, focus on investing in early stage AR companies and some, some VR companies, because of course there's some shared infrastructure, talents and skills between AR and VR. Uh, but our, our, our engine, our, our focus is really on the AR side. Um, and when we started in 2016, it was probably the first fund dedicated to investing in, in early stage AR. So it was kind of uh, up to us to prove that there is a need for su such a fund. And uh, the results were pretty amazing. I mean, we, we got, you know, a couple of thousand of companies reaching out to us uh, and kind of looking for, for investments uh, because they saw us as the, the smart money. And you, know, you have, there's a lot of interest, a lot of hype around AR and VR, but very little knowledge among investors about what is the best technology, where it's going, uh, how do you understand what are the, the, the most likely to happen business models and so on? And, and we've been living and breathing that for, for a decade. So, so many investors also uh, came to us for advice on that and for insights into how we see that evolving. So, so that was kind of a great proof point that there is a need for a specialized uh, fund like ours. Um, the, the other thing is... Um, you know, what, what are you focused on, right? I mean, what's the thesis? And, and here, you know, we, we kind of looked at the entire industry uh, because, you know, it's, it's a relatively small sector. Uh, we couldn't narrow it even further. So uh, we look at companies all over the world. Anything kind of pre-series A is in our, uh, is kind of part of what we're looking at, uh, including first, first money in, in many cases. And the, the types of companies are, you know, from hardware to software, from tools to applications, um, from enterprise to consumers, really across the board. Although we, you know, a lot of the, the companies that uh, pitched ga actual games, uh, that's something that we were kind of stay, staying away from just because it's so hard to predict the success of a game. And I know that because, you know, my, my first company, AR company, Augmento, was really building AR games. And uh, it was, you could say it was pretty early at the time, back in two, 2008 and nine. Uh, but it's still hard to predict how a game uh, will, will be accepted by, by the audience. So, so not, not, as, not as much on games, more on, on tools, on enabling tools. And there, where, when you look at, uh, at what, what are kind of the new things that we need in spatial computing, uh, it's a completely new set of things, but a lot of them 
have roots in previous waves. Uh, so starting with um, infrastructure, you know, the AR cloud, the ability to scan the world, to be able to create a point cloud that allows you to place content on it. There's a whole category of, of software tools and SDKs uh, that will ne be needed to really support that, that new infrastructure. So that's kind of a big area of focus for us. Uh, another thing is in terms of uh, interacting with the computer, first, perceiving the world is, is a big thing. Because, um, you know, we don't have a screen, a mouse, and a keyboard anymore. You have, uh, so, so what, what's going to replace those? And, and here there's, of course, dozens of startups, hundreds of startups that are trying to create those, those new interaction devices, whether it's voice-based, whether it's gesture-based, gaze tracking, brain interaction, all these kind of things. So we're, we're kind of looking at all these types of interactions. And then uh, once you, uh, you have that infrastructure in place and the interaction, how do you uh, build content for that new world? You're not going to use the traditional tools that we've all used for 2D computing. Uh, there's, there's a need for, for new kind of tools, whether it's to create content, uh, to capture content from the real world and make it available in, in AR. Um, how do you enable prototyping? How do you enable... Uh, development for non-programmers. So, so kind of world building is another big area of ours. Uh, and then there's the, the area that is probably going to be the most important for the adoption of AR and VR in the future, and that is about communication and collaboration. So how do we uh, provide what we call shared presence, that we can interact with people all over the world but feel like we're in the same room looking at the same thing uh, in real time? It has some roots in, you know, in conferencing technologies, but it's really taking it to a whole new level. And, uh, and I think, you know, if you look at the, the top 20 domains on the web, on the internet today, the majority of them are all about communication and collaboration. So it's a, probably a, a good guess that this is what will drive uh, AR and VR in the future as well. The last category is, is around um, giving superpowers to people or upgrading our intelligence. Um, and that's where you, you see a lot of applications as well as technologies that are kind of trying to address that. And, and that's an opportunity to invest in solutions or applications that target specific industries and uh, kind of really take employees or consumers to, to a whole new level. So these are kind of, you know, what we call the moonshots or the special areas that are really unique to spatial computing that we're looking at investing. One of the, the things that I, I see as a disconnect between investors currently and what's going to be needed, content. <laughs> you know, somebody has to make this content and until companies can make it themselves, which, you know, these platforms in theory should enable, you know, customers to build it themselves. But in practicality, that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing that you know content studios are becoming the only companies that are making a lot of money right now in this industry, and they're starting to get bought up. Riot got bought by Verizon. Deloitte just bought a studio. And I think the content development is going to be one of those key parts that in other technologies is often overlooked as you know, not investable. But we're already seeing you know small wins with uh, with these, and you know, and I understand the VC model trying to aim for the unicorn um, companies. But I think there's a lot of money to be made on these smaller uh, studios and, and developers that are making 
uh, content and there's you know tons of them popping up around but of the thousands of them that are popping up there's there's going to be ones that make their way to the top like fisherman labs for example is doing an amazing job just making snapchat filters for people and it's uh, you know, I can see their path to being acquired by Snapchat and, you know, to do it internally because, you know, they're, they're profitable, they're making money. What are your thoughts on content providers? Uh, we, we definitely look at, at content providers uh, as, as kind of a key, uh, key sector that will kind of define the, the future of, of the adoption of AR and VR. Um, you know, I, I said that the tech is good enough and it's really the time for creators to get in. Uh, and that's still true, but it's still... You know, in order to develop a really good app or, or, or you know, great content in AR, uh, it, it's not as easy as creating a mobile or social app today. Uh, it requires a really deep understanding of, of this new medium, how, how it's different, how it's, you know, you cannot just copy paste and, uh, you know, a mobile app into an AR app and, and hope for, for the best. That, that's definitely not going to work. Uh, so what, what I'm seeing is that people that have been trying to build apps or creating experiences for, for years are the ones that really tend to get it because they, they've tried different things. They've seen what works, what, what users like, what, uh, what kind of breaks the model. And, uh, and they seem to, uh, to build the, the best content. So I think unlike other cases where you know, a new company can come in and in six months, build a, an MVP for a social app or a, some mobile app. It's not the case with AR, um, and and that's why you know we look for people that have tried things because you know we, you need to not just understand this new medium, but in many cases, the design and develop an, a completely new user experience. Uh, that that's where the reinvention is happening right now, uh, and it's not just the user experience; also the business models of things are are, are changing. So. You know, many, many uh, companies are still trying to do things like SaaS models or uh, things that are kind of proven and uh, investors like to invest in once they see the metrics hitting. Um, and and may, I think many of these models will still be relevant, um, but uh, it's, it's up to us, you know, to the, the, the companies developing uh, in this industry to kind of look for to, how to adapt those business models so that it, they fit the new, this new environment. because. You know, it's not about searching an app in the app store anymore. It's not about uh, clicking on the link and getting to another link. It's really about experiencing things in the real world or in the virtual world. And uh, so how do you get people there? How do they uh, behave in that world? And, and how do you get their attention? It's, it's a whole set of new questions that we're just now starting to scratch the surface on. Absolutely. Well, my friend, I, I, we could talk about this all day, every day, and never, you know, really finish what we, you know, what we set out to talk about. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? I'll have uh, two answers for that. Uh, the first one is the the big problem that it's trying to solve is awareness and adoption, meaning. Although we're seeing, you know, almost like a third of all mobile users have, have seen some AR experiences, which is already amazing. Um, but it's, it's one of those technologies that until you see it, until you experience it, you don't really understand the benefits of it. So kind of, so, so one of the big challenges is, is kind of how do you get it in front of more people? 
so that they, they try it and they get it and then they, they want more of it. Um, so, so kind of solving the problem of, of awareness and adoption uh, are, are huge. What can a XR uh, or you know, AR and VR solve, let's say, on a, on a global level? Uh, it's, it's probably you know, the, the top five biggest uh, threats that are facing humanity right now. One, one is, you know, it's the, the growing population and the fact that uh, we see uh, migration and uh, people losing their jobs and uh, finding it hard to get upskilled for, for new jobs. I think in that area, um, XR and especially AR can, can help a lot with, uh, especially in the upskilling of, of employees and, uh, and allowing them to to be, be productive anywhere they are. I think, I think that that could be uh, probably a huge area of, uh, of help for, for the future of humanity on this earth. Um, and, you know, and then there's, of course, you know, healthcare, global warming and, or, or uh, climate change uh, that I think once you visualize things to allow people to better understand the impact of, of what's happening uh, kind of see the the future of how you know the world is going to look like in, in twenty or fifty years from now, and uh, kind of trigger them to take action much much sooner than before. Uh, so it's kind of are- a terrifying thought, to be honest. Which part? <laughs> Looking out twenty to fifty years in the future. Yeah, if I mean, we don't if we don't course correct. I, I give you a simple example, uh, and and these are apps that are already available today in some some locations. You want to see, you know, what does it mean, like a five inch of uh, oceans rising? Uh, where would I mean? I, I live in New York, and and can I actually can can look at look around in, in the streets and see where the water would go? And and that's really terrifying, and that's exactly the purpose of that visualization. That was, was that the one done with uh, on the Hololens in Times Square? There was a Hololens exhibit where they showed what it would be like if seawater rose by five. Was it five feet or five? In, it was crazy, and all of Times Square was underwater by like ten feet. That's right. Terrifying. Exactly. And once you see that, I think you cannot really think about it as a theoretical problem. It becomes real, and and people are bound to take action once they see it. Chris Milk said it. VR can be the ultimate empathy machine, and AR is as an extension of the real world connected with the digital world and being able to show us the, the future and help us course correct. I think we can use these technologies if harnessed properly to create the next generation's thought patterns around instead of what job do I want to get or what party do I want to go to, what challenge in the world do I want to take on? How do I give back to humanity? We have the power of technology to deliver that message and create those habits and create that mindset in the next generations, which should set us on the right course for humanity. I like that mission. Me too. <laughs> I hope I can fulfill it. And that's the hard part. Ori, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me today. If anybody wants to learn more about uh, the work that Ori and his team are doing, you can visit augmentedreality.org, awexr.com, or superventures.com. Ori, thank you again. Thank you, Alan. Been a pleasure. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity 
for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.